Uh, we're going to get right into it. We've got a lot of work to do um, this weekend as we uh, begin this brand new uh, collection of talks that we're hopping into. So uh, to get there, to set it up, we're going to go to, uh, around here at the well, uh, we have these pieces of scripture that we look at which we call our, our context scriptures or our, our, our foundational scripture. This is going to be the scripture or the, the verses in the Bible that are going to keep us anchored during the entirety of this series. And so I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses uh, 15, verses 16 through to 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through to 20. This is a dude named Paul the Apostle. We'll talk about him in a minute, and I'll give you a little bit more backdrop. But this is him writing, and he says this. For now on, then... We do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Like right there, we're going to talk about that later on in this series, but he says, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. And here's where it gets really good. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us, this is what I want us to hear, has given us, given us, come on, we shout us, come on, write it online, us, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on, you're hearing the tone here, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Today, as we begin this new collection of talks we're calling Lines in the Sand, I want to speak to you from the subject, a father's heart. A father's heart. As we look at God's heart for humanity and begin to unpack our responsibility in his great redemption initiative of reconciliation, will you just pray with me one more time this morning as we get ready to go? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you that you are moving and working in our lives right now. I thank you right now that this moment that we are in is for such a time as this. That the church that you are building, the people of God that you are moving in and working in, it's not by accident that we are here right now in this moment, in this time, and in these situations and circumstances. So God, right now, I pray that we would hear your voice today. That you would speak to us profoundly, deeply, in a way that we've maybe never heard your voice before. And today, I pray that it wouldn't be my voice, but it would be your voice. So speak to us now. Our ears are listening. Our hearts are ready to receive from you. We worship you and we honor you today in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and if you're online or live, come on, everybody shouted, amen and amen. Uh, I talk about my kids a lot, mainly because it's therapy uh, for me uh, to, to do so, and many of you parents are gonna know what I'm talking about right now. Uh, this whole quarantine cycle that we've been in and being cooped up in the house, thank God we're able to get out a little bit more now. But I'm not gonna lie, like, it got rough there for a little while. Like, kind of Lord of the Flies, everybody, like, survival of the fittest in our household. It got crazy in, in our home. And, and what I've noticed, I've got uh, my two oldest kids, Justice and Shiloh, uh, they're 10 and 9. They're 15 months apart. Apparently, that's called some sort of twin. I don't know how that works. But um, they're super close together. Uh, we did not necessarily do that on purpose. Uh, surprise. Um, so... 
<laughs> that's apparently what happens. <laughs> um, anyways, that's a whole nother message. So, um, but my kids, they've been cooped up in the house or in the backyard or in the front yard, and because Justice and Shiloh are so close in age and close in stage, uh, do, they do a lot together at the end of the day. And one thing that's ratcheted up during this, this time, during these past 16 to 20 weeks now, is their ability to fight with one another. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Their ability to find any one angle to literally annoy the crazy out of each other. And so my son, he'll hop in and he'll engage with his sister and, 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 and he's really good at getting underneath her skin. He's really good at saying the right things to set her off. And she's a passionate little girl. She, she's very much like her mom. And so if, if he starts chirping at her, he starts getting underneath her skin, she'll let him know it. Come on. Now when she's 16, 17, 18, I actually want her to keep that about her. That, that'll work in her favor. And uh, and so they've been back and forth about different things. And in one moment, they'll be good with each other. They'll be working, they'll be playing with each other, they'll be hanging out, having a lot of fun. And literally on the turn of a dime, all of a sudden they're fighting. All of a sudden they're engaged in World War III and our house is becoming unraveled as they decide to go at each other to figure out their issues and their problems. And so my job as a, as a dad is to hop in the middle of it many times, and I don't know how many times I've said this now in 16 to 20 weeks, whatever week we're in. How many of you lost time like I have, right? There's been so many times where I've hopped in the middle of it and said, would you please stop fighting? Would you knock it off? Right? And then we've said things like, this is, said this to Justice the other day, this is your only sister. And he's like, well, I have another one, actually. And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> right? This is, your, this is your sister. We're family. Parishes don't, don't do that. And my, my job as a father, the heart of this dad right here, is to make sure that my, that my kids are in right relationship. See, as a dad, the last thing I want is to see dissent and, and animosity and anger and frustration taking place between my kids. Why? Because they're, they're family. And the heart of a father is to see his kids in union and peace and support and care and consideration of each other. No good father leaves their kids in a place without the tools necessary to have ununified and broken relationships. See, a father leaves them with the tools necessary to have unified and fulfilling relationship with one another. That's my, that's my job as a dad. That's the heart of this father right here, and yet here we are. Living in a nation that many would consider divided and beyond repair. There have been lines drawn in the sand in almost every area of our lives. There is a side for everything right now. And these sides have come to define us. And with all honesty, define us in ways they've, it, it, that these lines that have been drawn in the sand have, have separated us in ways that we were never meant to be separated. It's with this reality in mind that Paul the Apostle pins his impassioned letter to the Corinthians, the letter of tears as some, as some would call it. 
Now, I've got to do a lot of work this morning to kind of preface a lot of what we're going to be going into today and for the rest of the series. So I just want to encourage you to lean in for a second. got to get into some Bible right now. we got to look at a couple different things to set up this, this idea that we want to work with. So if you're new to the Bible, Paul was a follower of Jesus who would write what we know as letters to a wide variety of churches. These letters are now found in what we call the New Testament of the Bible. He would do this in order to encourage these churches and correct these people and teach them and let them know simply how much he he loved them. Paul would write two letters to the Corinthian church as they tended to be a church that needed to be brought correction on a more frequent basis. They had some issues, guys. There would be no wonder as to why they would have these issues, as the Corinthian church was at the center of a budding cosmopolitan city, rife with diversity and commerce and expansion, free thinking and politics, art, education, affluence, influence, and religion. And come on, Sam, how many of you know that when those things collide, it leaves some moments and it leaves the option open to have some conflict? Not too different from the cities that we find ourselves in. Today, it's in both of these letters, as well as many others, that Paul would address the many lines in the sand that had been established. He would do this as he would take up this mantle and ministry of reconciliation that he would so declare in 2 Corinthians. He writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 14, as he would try to reconcile a division that had taken place. I want you to hear this, by way of loyalty to our particular leader. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. Don't get quiet on me now. I'm going to poke some things in us today. He says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. And then he asks this question, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? Now I just wanna submit to you this morning right now that everything that I'm going to say, I just want you to see this, Bible. B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, right? So this is the Bible. This is not Jason's opinion. This is not my stance on things. Paul the Apostle, inspired by God, writes these words, is Christ divided? Other moments would include 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11, as Paul would deal with people bringing legal action against each other. 1 Corinthians 7.15 is he would mediate strife and division concerning marriage. He would address division over communion. Check this out. As members would leave the poor among them humiliated and dejected as they would be left hungry while they are pushed aside by people in the church during communion. 1 Corinthians 11.17-34. In his second letter, we would find Paul encouraging the church to to give someone who had frustrated them and and had offended them as they repented of their ways. Notice Paul has to bring correction to say, listen, they've said sorry, let's stop holding it against them. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. As well, 2 Corinthians being an entire letter that Paul would write for the sheer purpose of bringing reconciliation. 
Paul would establish in Galatians, another letter, 3, 28 through 29, that division was not to be tolerated by way of race, creed, gender, social status, and economic standing. He writes this, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. I just need us to understand that there's some stuff in scripture that I think we are forgetting about, that I think that we are sometimes passing over or glossing over, and we've gotta be called back to a different place, and as lines in the sand have been drawn in our world, we have to draw a new line, the line of reconciliation that ultimately leads us to Jesus. Every single one of these instances being a moment where Paul would seek to address the ever-growing distance created by lines in the sand. See, Paul, as he would pick up the mantle and ministry of reconciliation, would address the underlying issue, let's say it, of sin at work in the hearts and actions of people as he would call them to better. Come on, can I get an amen online this morning? He's calling us to better. And I don't know what position you're in, and I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. Maybe you're joining online today, and and you have no orientation of Jesus, and maybe you've been a Christ follower for 30 years of your life. I just want to invite you into this moment. I want to invite you into this space to consider some new things, to consider a different understanding, to consider a place that we can can live in, a place that we can uh, uh, raise our lives in, a place where we can sit in and understand that we have a greater calling, and that is the ministry of recognition. Reconciliation. To sum it up perfectly, the writer and author of the New American Commentary says it like this. Clearly, reconciliation does not entail, listen to this, listen to these words, entail glossing over sin or ignoring it for the sake of maintaining harmony. Paul confronts it directly and forcefully, so forcefully in the letter of tears that it temporarily deepened the breach in his relationship with the Corinthians and prompted this letter to mend any hurt feelings. But Paul knows there can be no real reconciliation without an acknowledgement of sinful behavior and repentance for it. Woo! Strong words. Pastor, I don't, I don't like those words. Sorry. It's not about what I like or don't like. It's about what God's called us to. I don't like it when Jesus said you must sacrifice. Come on, whoever once got up and said, you know, today I feel like sacrificing, said no one ever. So what is reconciliation? Here's a great working definition that will help us through this series, all right? According to the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, let's allow the Bible to define our biblical understandings of things, amen? All right, reconciliation, listen, is the restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where before there had been hostility and alienation. There's a lot of moments in scripture where, where, where God tells us some things, where Jesus speaks to us in parables, but here's a very clear line that we have been given, that we have been reconciled to God and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Us. Us. Uh. Notice that us 
doesn't have division in it. Us is a compilation of the fabric of heaven. Us. And I just want to submit to us today that without us, reconciliation is not possible. According to author D.E. Garland, listen to these words. The ministry of reconciliation, therefore, involves more than simply explaining to others what God has done in Christ. It requires that one become an active reconciler oneself. Like Christ, a minister of reconciliation plunges into the midst of human tumult to bring harmony out of chaos, reconciliation out of estrangement, and love in the place of hate. So here we are standing at the brink of what seems like a tearing from every edge. Within the fabric of society, it would seem like there's a loose strand and we've all but pulled on it and decided to watch it as everything unravels. But the Bible offers us another way. The king of heaven calls us to a greater standard, one in which is representative of his desire to see heaven on earth. So I say, his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, am I talking to anybody today? So here's the truth. We do not have the option to ignore the prevalent issues that are dividing us today. <laughs> we do not have the option to ignore the lines in the sand. As followers of Jesus, we do not have the option to bury our heads in the sand and cover our ears. We do not have the option to continue forward, unaware and unfazed by what we are seeing and what is happening in the world around us. I want you to see this today and hear this today. Hear this from a pastor's heart. I love you. Ignorance is not bliss. It is irresponsibility. Ignorance is not bliss, it's your responsibility. Just so you know, that is my quote. Quote that. Hashtag that. <laughs> we will discover in this series, Jesus plunged headlong into the fray of human division. He would step over the lines, step over the lines. It's not good enough just to step up to the line. As ministers of reconciliation, we have to step over the line. And I think for too long, for many generations, that the church has stepped to the line, or maybe just away from the line a little bit as to not fall over the line. Jesus would step over the line. He would lose himself in it. <laughs> he would step over the lines that had been drawn in order to draw a new line the line of reconciliation, and he would do this by sitting at a well. He would do this by looking up into a tree for a man named Zacchaeus. He would do this by dining at a table, and he would do this by washing feet. Jesus would lay out the standard by which we are to live. He would set the course, he would pave the way, and he would ultimately lose his life for it. Oh, church, I, I need you to hear this today. We are going to explore some stuff in this series that may deconstruct a lot of what we've known. We may discover some things and talk about some things that make us uncomfortable. And I just wanna say this, as a pastor, if I'm not making you uncomfortable, I'm not doing my job. The problem that we face 
however, is that we've become all too familiar with the comfort and customs of this world, our privilege, our nationalism, and our preference. When what we've been called to represent is a different kingdom, not of this world and with a very different fabric of truth. Come on, am I talking to anybody today? So over the course of this series, we're gonna discover what the kingdom of heaven looks like as it's put on display through the ministry of reconciliation, a ministry that each and every single one of us has been called to. But what I wanna do today is start us out. That was just my intro. I wanna give us some truths to rest on through the remainder of this series. You're gonna hear from different voices in this series. Pastor Andrew's gonna be speaking in a few weeks. Pastor Eric is gonna be speaking. You're gonna hear different voices. But what I wanna give us today is, is maybe a platform to rest the rest of this series on. As we look at the ministry of reconciliation, as we, as we discover how this plays itself in our lives, and I just wanna let you know, like here is a, here is a, uh, a preface to these, to these points. I have been praying over these and diligently studying these things. And as we look at the ministry of re- reconciliation, I wanna, I wanna call us to a higher standard. I wanna call us to a greater place. I wanna call us to, to put our chests out and broaden our shoulders to carry the weight that God has car- called us to carry in this world and be the ministers, us, of reconciliation that we've been called to be. Romans chapter 14 and 15 gives us four substantial statements regarding these issues, regarding this issue, and that's what I wanna look at today. Four truths concerning the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the first one. The ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of listening. The ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of listening. I didn't know that listening was a ministry. Yep, welcome to it. See, for many of us, we think that, that this is ministry. Speaking from a pole, this, and singing and doing all that, that that's, not, that's not ministry, that is a function of ministry. The ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of actually listening. Romans 14, verse 13, watch what he says. He says, do not judge one another. Well, what does that have to do with listening? Don't worry, I'll explain it. Romans chapter 14, verse 13, do not judge one another. Pastor A.R. Bernard, a pastor in New York City, said it like this, until you sit down and hear someone else's story, you are not qualified to give your opinion or judgment on their situation. What? Until you sit down and listen to someone's story, you are not qualified to give your opinion or judgment on their situation. Oh, that's just A.R. Bernard. Well, let's see what the Bible says. James chapter one, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this, colon. Everyone, well, no, actually, some more than others. (laughs) No, no, no. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. The truth is is that we've become a people that has lost the art of listening and has replaced it with the weapon of judgment. And my concern is that there are a lot of people running around saying and posting everything they want to say and post, but they've never sat down with a single person to hear their story. I'm gonna make a really strong statement right now. I have found that judgment is the disposition of the tone deaf and ignorant. 
Why? Because we haven't listened. We haven't listened. When we listen we, and actually hear someone, when we sit with them face to face and hear their story and experience their pain through their story, that is when judgment tends to be our last port of call. You see, empathy is the product of actually listening because all of us, I want you to hear this, all of us tend to give grace to those that are closest to us. Judgment tends to be the product of distance. Are are you hearing me today? It's amazing how many people that are close to us, we will give grace to them. Come on, let, let's just, like, we gotta look at ourselves and we gotta assess this. I know the people that are close to us, I have a tendency to look over things, if I'm honest. I have a tendency to be more understanding, if I'm honest. I have a tendency to give more grace at the end of the day. It's when we are distant from someone's story. It's when we are distant from understanding. It's when we haven't listened and sat down over a coffee or over a meal at the table of reconciliation. It's when I have not done that that I tend to judge where they're coming from. But we weren't given the ministry of judgment. We were given the ministry of reconciliation. I wasn't given the ministry of my opinion. I was given the ministry of bringing two opposing sides together in Jesus' name. So the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of listening I tell my kids all the time when they're fighting, would you listen? Stop saying things and start listening to things. I had a beautiful conversation with somebody this week. And uh, a couple of pastors were on this call. And I love what this person said to us. They're struggling through some things right now. They're wrestling. There's some really big topics right now. Topics that I'll be at the church is so afraid to just listen to as people work through them. And I love what this person said. They said, hey, listen, I just felt like I can talk to you about this because I knew that you were gonna give me truth, but you're also gonna listen to me. You're gonna understand where I'm coming from. And can I tell you that as we listened, I was able to understand their story, and in understanding their story, I was able to have empathy and and, and a greater love, knowing that this story includes all kinds of twists and turns that I would never wish upon somebody, and I've gotta trust them into the hands of Jesus with the rest of their story. Ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of listening. Come on, is anybody listening to me today? Here's the second thing. The ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of pursuit. Romans chapter 14, verse 19, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. In other words, reconciliation is an active engagement, not a passive dream. Have you ever realized that a lot of the change that we wanna see in the world tends to be from a dreaming perspective rather than an acting perspective? Let me just say that one more time. Have you ever noticed that we tend to want to see the greatest degree of change in our dreams, but like really don't ever put our hand to it? 
See, it's one thing to sit around a table and talk about all the things that we wanna see happen in the world. It's one thing to sit in church and talk about all the revival that we wanna see in the world. It's another thing to step over the line, to walk out of the doors of the church and to be amongst the people in our cities and in our neighborhoods. It's one thing to invite somebody over for dinner who doesn't look like you and talk like you and think like you and believe like you. Ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of pursuit. This, this is the Greek word for, that's used right here for pursuit. It means this, to follow after, to follow, to press hard after, to pursue with earnestness and diligence in order to obtain, to go after with desire of obtaining. I know what pursuit looks like. I pursued her. Come on, guys. I remember when I was pursuing her. Every, it was engulfed me. I thought about her, dreamed about her. We talked. Do you remember when you were first dating, married couples especially? Maybe some of you guys are doing this right now. When you first, like this is what we used to do. I'm gonna date myself. We used to talk on the phone for hours. Now people are like, I don't know how to talk on the phone. You're right, you don't. <laughs> we used to text for hours. We would pursue each other, I would pursue her. You know, what's interesting is that over the time in our marriage, if I'm very honest with all of us, the pursuit has lessened, the pursuit has waned. The pursuit has been covered up with responsibility and children and work and schedules and to-do lists. And I fear that that's where our faith has gotten to. I fear that's where our Christianity has gotten to, that it's gotten caught up with to-do lists and responsibilities and this, that, and the other, and we've forgotten what we've been called to, the ministry of reconciliation, and that is to pursue people. Like, pursue them. I wanna know people who are not like me. I wanna know people who don't think like me. See, the pursuit of peace and that which builds one another up. The problem that we are facing right now is it would seem like we are pursuing what tears another down. See, pursuit never happens from a place of default. We have to be intentional. I wonder what would happen if we spent as much time pursuing Jesus as we do articles to post on Facebook in order to stick it to the other side. Now I know in this series I may get DMs and Facebook messages and emails. They all go to Karen, I'm just, I'm just saying. See, our issue with pursuing peace and that which builds up many times comes down to our inability. I want you to hear this. The reason that we struggle with this issue is because it comes down to our inability to trust that if we do what God asks us to do, that he'll actually show up and do what he said he would do. Is it possible that our lack of pursuit really is a lack of faith in God's goodness? Number three. Don't get quiet on me. <laughs> the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of fortification. Romans chapter 15, verse one, he continues on to say, bear the weaknesses, bear the weaknesses 
bear the weaknesses of those without strength. This is the Bible. I love watching my two oldest kids help my youngest kid. We have this playhouse in our backyard, and before Eliana could walk as confidently as she does now, there's this this large stepladder that goes to the top of this playhouse that's in our backyard, and they love to go up there and play games and and use their imaginations and, and, and hang out with one another, and they'll do it for hours. And I'll never forget sitting in the backyard many times watching my kids, and instead of dad engaging in helping Eliana up to the top, my heart had been passed down to their hearts, and so their hearts were to make sure that Eliana could get to the top so that she could be included in the same game that they were playing. I need us to hear this today because I'm concerned that we are stepping back from actually being the people of reconciliation which stand there to help others in their weakness. That is the gospel. That is the Bible where Jesus said we could not do it. He did it on the cross. And so I would watch them lift her up since when did it become a negative thing to help lift others up? (laughs) Bear the weakness of those without strength. The problem that we face is that we are in a place in history that tends to focus more on our ability to do for ourselves than for others. Can I just tell you that's not the Bible? The Bible actually leads us to a place of sacrifice. We have to strip away the American dream ideology and take on kingdom theology, which will always advocate for those that are strong to stand in a place of fortification for those who are weak. If you don't agree with me, look it up in the Bible. Do your research, do your work. In other words, the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of holding others up. I build Legos with my son. And I remember we got this big Lego set. He got this big Lego, I didn't, he did. And so I sat down there and it's, It's always fun because these teaching moments become sermon fodder for me. Let's just be honest. (laughs) Nothing is safe in our household. I'm now starting to have to ask my kids if I can tell stories about them. We're at the dinner table the other day, and uh, I said, hey, I'm going to tell this story on Sunday. Is that that all right? I'm going to tell a story about you guys. That's how I said it. I'm going to tell a story about you guys. Is that all right? And they're like, yeah, that's awesome. I'll be on TV. And then I told them the story that I wanted to tell them about fighting, and Justice is like, no, uh uh-uh, you can't tell that story. So we're downstairs in his room playing Legos, and he's got this big Lego set, and we've got the instructions. And I found myself in, in watching him and helping him build. He was getting frustrated. I want, you to, I want you to hear this. He was getting frustrated because he was trying to skip particular instructions in order to get to a finished product. The problem was is that the thing he was trying to build was not strong enough to be the finished product because he left out particular pieces that were called to hold other pieces up. 
Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For him, the whole body being fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. When there is a part that is weak, there is a stronger part that has been called to hold it up. Why? So that the finished project looks the way that Jesus wants it to look. Growth is the product of every part of the body doing and being what it was created for and holding up its respective parts in order to support the parts that may need help in that moment. And when one is fortified, I want you to see this, when one is fortified, it that gives it the strength to fortify another that needs fortification. And when that one is fortified by these supporting parts, then it is strong enough to hold up what it needs to hold up. And when these three parts are strong enough to hold up what they've been called to hold up, then this part gets stronger. And then the body grows and it strengthens and it becomes everything that it's supposed to be. And we're still debating as to why the church isn't being what it's supposed to be. The answer is that we're still divided. The answer is that we still have Lego pieces over here trying to build something, and Lego pieces over here trying to build something, and Lego pieces over here trying to build something, instead of coming together and going, wait a second, you and I actually are supposed to connect, because when we connect, we create the thing necessary to hold these other pieces up. Oh, and when you connect with that connection right there, it's going to create the baseline for those things to be stacked on top of it. And Jesus said, I will build my church in the gates of hell, would not prevail against it. The part is, is that he included us in the building. Whee! That's been fun. The ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of fortification. And number four, the last one is this the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of invitation. Romans chapter 15, verse seven says this, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you. Jesus is the example of what reconciliation is all about. One who steps in between the hostile groups, in this case, God the Father, and man, his creation, He, Jesus, became the great mediator and reconciler as he was given as God so loved the world. He was the Lego piece that fit in between the hostility. And so if you go all the way back to the beginning of this message, if we go all the way back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, In verse 18, it says that everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And because of our experience in Christ, he has then given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
In other words, he's saying, listen guys, I have given you the template. I have given you the mandate. I have given you the understanding. I have showed you what it looks like to do the ministry of reconciliation. I have showed you that it will require sacrifice. I've showed you that it will require you stepping over the lines. I've showed you that it will require listening and fortification and invitation, asking somebody to the table of reconciliation. And he did it all throughout his ministry. And the problem is, is that we've looked at every single moment of the gospels, every single moment where Jesus did it, and we said, oh, isn't that nice? That's good for Jesus. That doesn't work now. (laughs) We're gonna discover in this series that Jesus never faced anything that we're not facing now. Every single line, I want, you to, I want you to see this. Every single line that has been drawn in the sand is not a new line. It is a historical line. The same lines that we're needing to step over now in our generation is the same line that Jesus would step over as he would sit with the Samaritan woman at the well. as he would sit at tables with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. (laughs) It's a nice Bible story, looks great on flannel graph. Some of you will get that joke, all my church people in the house. It's the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of invitation. We have to decide now more than ever that we will take up the mantle in the ministry of reconciliation and be, when we say the person that God has called us to be, if you ever needed permission to be that person, here is your permission. You've been called to ministry. Maybe you didn't know that today. Maybe you don't understand that today. You have been called to ministry. Ministry stepping over lines, and maybe me, more importantly, erasing the lines. Is it possible that as we become new creations in Christ, we wipe clear old sandboxes in order to build new ones? New ones without lines in the sand. rather sandboxes that represent the tapestry of heaven the glorious kingdom that awaits us one day to which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess where every tribe and every person and every background and every backdrop and every skin color will stand before the one who gave it all on the cross and declare him as king over it all